0: Do you think that your life is missing something? Is there something that you need to enhance your psychological development? Well, come on down to the no So I finally wised up and I got rid of Trevor. In today's episode of the Off Off Topic podcast, I'm sitting down with my friend, geologist and musician Sean Hughes as we talk about things to do with music, growing up in Longford, his hobbies to do with running, theory of evolution, and issues surrounding mental health in Ireland.
1: So what is the crack? What are the levels like? Do I look audible? Do I look audible? You look, you look good. It I'd love to, good. to make an album called Do I Look Audible. <laughs> <laughs> cool.
0: Do I look audible, yeah. Yeah. Did Do I sound visually uh, yeah. appealing? <laughs> Do I look audible, yeah. Although
1: that's probably a thing. Actually, yeah, kick it off there and we can talk about that.
0: Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, with Sean Hughes on the latest edition of the Off Off Topic podcast. Sean... What was that thing you just said about looking audible? <laughs> well, in
1: uh, we were just in the pre-production meeting there, and we meet- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just during the pre-production meeting, we were just talking about, um, you know, we were looking at the fucking the sounds as they were coming into this recording software here, mm. and uh, I'm just looking at it there now as I'm creating these waves with my sounds. It's and I'd just love to go into a club and say to a young lady. Hey darling, <laughs> do I look audible tonight? <laughs> How's my waveform? <laughs> I think it's a sign.
0: Yeah. Um. Yeah. So obviously you're, uh, you're 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 into recording music and that as well, and you play play guitar.
1: Yeah, I should do more, but yeah. What was the I dabble.
0: Uh, what was the initial moment, or you know, what got you into music?
1: What got me into music? I can't remember a time, man, where. I wasn't interested in music in some capacity. Mm. I remember as a kid, like, uh, well, one of my earliest memories is like a really sad memory because uh, my dad had a massive record collection and uh, he put on one of his favorite records one time on his old record player. And I was only a kid, man. I must've been fucking seven or eight. like. Mm. And it was that song that was like, I don't know who does it, but you'll know. It was uh, in the jungle, oh, the no. mighty jungle, the lions sleep tonight. That shit. <laughs> I didn't and, think uh, that was a Dennis Hughes there. There's the bit in the middle where it. Goes, way, and that shit. And uh, that was going on. And I went over to the record player, obviously yeah. not understanding how this technology works. And I just like grabbed the arm and picked up the needle and slammed it back down and it, like scraped the shit out of the record. And then the record was like fucked. And I just cried and cried and cried. He was like, it's all right, it's grand, you didn't know, it's fine. And I was like, no, it's broken. I think you've saved the world from another
0: sonic atrocity there, I know, but like
1: that, you know, he asked me what my earliest memory of music, that's probably it, like, the utter guilt of wrecking my dad's terrible record. (laughs) I
0: I remember the, um, I remember the first, uh, I remember the first album that I got was, uh, was uh, Dust in the Turkey. I talked about this on a podcast and it turned out that myself, Paul and Trevor, I think at all, (laughs) at some point, (laughs) we were all like trying to think of albums and I was like, Ride the Lightning and Paul was like ACDC and Trevor was like, I think ACDC or Guns N' Roses and then I was like, actually wait, no, I got Dust in the Turkey before that. So um, yeah, Dust in the Turkey FTW. The first
1: record that I remember buying, like the first album I remember buying, and this is fucking nuts, is uh, Alice DJ, Who Needs Guitars Anyway. <laughs> 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 I swear to God, man. Wow. I, um, I bought that in, uh, I think it was Quinsworth's at the time, you know, where Tesco is in Longford. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And I went in there and I bought that shit and I thought that was the fucking the coolest thing ever. You're like, do you think you're better off alone? All them tunes is on it. Do you think you're better and, uh, off then I'm not sure how the eras line up in terms of releases, but one of the other ones I remember buying in, in the early years was Hot Shot by Shaggy. <laughs> <laughs> and I literally mm-hmm. have a memory, man. We used to, as a family, we used to go up to uh, like Liffey Valley Shopping Centre or Blanchardstown every yeah. fucking couple of Sundays to do a bit of shopping or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have this memory of, uh, I used to like to get into the boot of the car because we had those like fold-down seats in the old like Mazda oh, 323 we had. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I used to like let down the seat and crawl into the boot and I had a disc man and I brought like a pillow one time we were going up to the shopping centre and I set it down in the boot of the car crawled through the seat stuck on fucking hot shot by shaggy put the headphones on and just lay there and took it all in <laughs> 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 wow wow yeah yeah i loved that album <laughs> well that's Loved, yeah. <laughs> I loved that album. That is something
0: I never knew about you. I yeah, never you knew go. you were a closet Shaggy fan. Yeah, right? yeah,
1: no. Well, I was again. I was very young. This and I don't know if the, if I look at my phone now and check Wiki, and that album came out in like 2015. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be real embarrassed. <laughs> but no, I, you know, my mind, my ego tells me that I was a little child when yeah. that happened. So we'll go with that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking back to when you mentioned about fold up, fold down seats in the back of cars. Because uh, we used to have a, a Daihatsu 4x4, and it was like that. It had a big boot, you know, where you could open the back of the the, the 4x4, and it was like a door that opened like a gate, you know. And uh, it had these little fold-down seats. I was obsessed with sitting in them, but, like, probably a very big safety hazard-like, you know. Probably, yeah. It probably
1: wouldn't fly now. <laughs> <laughs> like, the one we had as well, the Mazda 323, it was a 91 black Mazda and it had the little pop-up lights, like the eyes on the front. Oh, yeah. And I remember, I used to think that was, I thought my dad was like a superhero, like driving around in this thing. <laughs> I was like, this is so cool. Yeah, And um, then it, was, it wasn't so bad, because the next car he got, while well, it didn't look as cool, it was a Nissan Primera. It was a bit more of a functional that's car. A
0: cool car. We had a Nissan Primera. Like, not late 90s, by any chance. Like.
1: Yeah, late yeah, 90s, but it was cool. But what made it super cool at that time, because the Mazda had a tape deck in it, This thing had in the boot a six CD changer. changer. We had the
0: same thing, you know. Holy shit! Like yeah, and actually, one of the first albums I ever remember musically really, really getting into was uh, *Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band*. And my dad only had a couple of CDs in the car, and that was one of them. And uh, so I know that album inside out. Yeah, yeah. Um, But we used to, we used to go on car journeys because we used to go down a holiday in Cork, and it was like a six, seven-hour journey you know, before Cashel was, like, bypassed and all that, and you had to go through all the towns. and took so long. We used to listen to, like, CDs, but I can't, I can't remember a lot of them. I remember...
1: Do you think that that kind of experience is lost now in the way that we primarily consume music, which is, like, streaming now? Yeah. It's th- like, you know, it's it's about songs, and it's not so much, like... I have this album because I bought it, so I'm going to listen to the shit I out of this I and I'm going to know every I nook I and cranny on it. I think
0: that, that, like, Stephen Wilson had a point when he said, uh, the sound of music comes in silver pills, engineered to suit your cheaper thrills. Because I think... Gosh, I sound so corny quoting that, but it's a true line. Like,
1: I think people... And what's the next is, like, music of rebellion makes you one of age, but it's made by, by millionaires, millionaires who are really nearly twice your age. Your age yeah. and like, I think
0: that's... Yeah, it's good. Yeah, and it's... Uh, you know Spotify is great and all it's great at a parody or something where you're like put on a tune you know I really want to put on a, a tune just put it on there and music even with YouTube is so readily accessible but I don't think I don't think kids are getting into albums uh and you know viewing it as a work of art in the same way you know i i uh, there's certain albums I love,
1: yeah, we grew up with that though yeah like, that's that's we the were, way I think we grew last music. generation I remember even like uh, I often hearken back to um the poker games we used to play at, like, Ryan's house. Yeah, yeah. There'd be, like, a gang of us to go there and play poker, and they had this ritual. And it was there before I was in that group, and it continued through all that. Still goes on, But yeah. um, it was like, you'd sit down and play poker, and you'd agree on an album, and they'd stick the whole album on, and you'd play the game of poker, and you'd listen to that album. Mm. And there are so many albums I discovered, like, in that period that I still listen to, to the today. The first time. Like, uh, Scenes from a Memory by Dream Theater, yeah. um, King's X, Faith, Hope, Love, a yeah. lot of great albums. Like the
0: that. first time I ever heard... Uh, Queensreich's Operation Minecrime was at a poker game, and yeah. I remember being in town. I won't mention their name, but I remember having a big uh, disagreement with a guy in the smoking area of uh, Blue. Uh, oh, Paddy Norbert. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, the guy was telling me that I didn't know anything about metal, and of course, just winding me up when I was taking the bait. But I remember going back to Ryan's after it, you know, and ranting. It was the first time I met Dean. And I think Operation Mindcrime was playing. Either that or it was the second time the poker game happened. But there were so many of those albums. And I remember we'd go over to Ryan's and you'd listen to albums. You would. And I'd still listen to albums at home, you know. And uh, it's a lost experience putting it on and just listening to an album and dedicating yourself to an hour of immersive listening like you would a movie.
1: But it's interesting as well, I think, that when you talk about consuming music as an album, Mm. I think people who grew up in that era, which is like, the people before us, like our parents. Yeah. And I think us probably as uh, the last, the other edge of it. Yeah. But like, I think even the way the way we consume it has changed, i.e. it's streaming and you get any song you want. I think we still would like pick an album and listen to it right through because that's what we grew up doing. Yeah. And I think like, you know, the next generation, the people who are in like school now, they're like listening to the hits and they're listening to like individual records well, and I stuff. I think, I think the, the proof is in
0: the pudding. I think we were talking about Ed Sheeran earlier in songwriting and you know, Is that when in he, pre-production as well was he, it? Which that was in the pre-production meeting for this yeah. Uh, <laughs> um Yeah, <laughs> uh, I got my little clipboard with all my you know my my outline topics of what we're going to discuss. But you know, when Ed Sheeran releases a new album, he doesn't really release a new album. He releases like three or four songs on Spotify first and kind of fields it out. And I often wonder if that helps select track lists. I'm not sure. Do does he have maybe 20 songs and then kind of puts out the few feeler songs and then kind of tears the? I don't know, but. Like, definitely modern audiences that are listening to um, music, they're listening to single songs and their Spotify shuffle and they're discovering new music. And I'll be honest, I, I don't like it as a way of discovering music. I always liked sharing things with friends. And I know there's always that little bit of, like, you can argue that Spotify and discovering things randomly is, um you know, is a little bit more, uh, it's, it's a little bit for you because you're going to discover things only you like. <laughs> but I love that feeling of showing things to my friends and going, check this out, or vice versa, you know, getting things. I think that's a little bit lost nowadays. Now, I still think kids say check check out stuff, but I don't think they, um, but I don't think they're as involved with the albums. I don't, like, there's kids, you know, there's kids in my classes and stuff who listen back to a lot of the 70s stuff, and they get it. But I think the average audience listener isn't Checking out albums. I don't think people. No, there's
1: also the, the, the analytics game now, mm. since we're all in the data era and shit like that. These guys were like, look on Spotify, and it's like Spotify sorts the songs by the most listens or whatever. So, like, people use most listens as a proxy for how good the song is. Mm. So, like, you know, this song has 700 million listens. It must be unreal. Mm. Whereas, really, this is the song that had the, had the biggest push. And the song that might have laid an album. You know the way the albums are counted like on Billboard for first week sales? Yes. It's like, for example, if Drake has a fucking example of one of these fucking cornball artists that's yeah. fucking playing the game. Woeful. He'll fucking... Um, he'll drop like three or four singles a month before his album comes mm. out. And they're huge. They fucking... They're absolutely huge. Yeah. But then he drops the album and the album might have 20 tracks on it and people listen to the album, people listen to the album. But his first week sales and I'm open to being wrong on this, but my understanding is that his first week sales in terms of units will include any previous streams on the songs which are now on the album. Right. So he laid with these songs and say, like, he had a big song there. I can't remember what it was And that counts towards um,
0: the, the, the listens of the album. Say it might have had a couple,
1: of hundred thousand, or a couple of hundred million streams. They will immediately like, be added on to the consumption of the album, which wasn't even released when people were consuming yeah,
0: that's, it. that's bad. And
1: also the fact that it's a 20-track album. People put it on and they let it rock. And that's like 20 streams, you know, it's 20 individual. It counts as if, you know, you find the song on Spotify and you listen to it once. So like the more songs you have on an album. So that's why, you know, people will put skits on albums and like interludes and shit like this, because more tracks, you know, somebody listens to your album in full. If there's four really long songs on it and there's eight medium length songs, the person with the eight will get twice as many streams.
0: That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy.
1: And I then you're into the whole game of what is a stream? How does that equate to a sale? And then they have like a formula that tries to relate that to physical sales. And it's crazy. I don't know the number, but it's like, you know, you a know, couple of thousand it's, streams. It's, is like a physical.
0: I don't know about you, but when I'm listening to an album, like I, I still take an album as face value of uh, as a whole thing, you know. Um, I still think that if there's three great songs on an album and seven weak songs, just as an example, that I still won't think that's you know, I'm still less inclined to put those songs on every so often than some songs off an album I know is great. Is Use Your Illusion 2 a good album? Is Use Your Illusion 2 album... Well, I can say it's better than Use Your Illusion 1.
1: How many good songs do you think there are on Use Your Illusion 2?
0: There's 13 songs, because I'm not counting what My World, which is the last track, which is Hopeless. Do you know that song? Yeah, I know it, yeah. Um... I think that is a good album. I'd give it seven out of ten. I think if they cut off four or five tracks, I think it would be... Anyway. Civil War is
1: on that, right? Great
0: uh, great song. Yeah. Great song.
1: Civil War is easily my favorite Guns N' Roses song. Yeah. And like just to your point, I think the fact that it's like, I think a your Illusion 2, I think a Civil War, I love that song. I'm like, I can't hate that album. Yeah. Oh, okay. You know, you know, and yeah. Maybe if I went more in depth and I listened to the album more, then I'd be like, uh eh. That yeah. album's not great, but I in my mind it's like it's, album, the album yeah. Civil War on it. That's pretty good.
0: Yeah. The uh Civil War is a great song. Uh 14 Years, which is the song that follows it, is pretty good. And then I'm trying to think what comes after it. There's another song, and then track four is Knocking on Heaven's Door, which is a good cover of it. I like it. But, Massive uh,
1: song, a smash hit like
0: Yeah. Because it was played, I think it was played
1: served at served its purpose, like.
0: Yeah, um, I think it was played at the Freddie Mercury concert, knocking on Heaven's Door. In '92 was it or '93? '92, um. But the uh the standout tracks for me on that album are that and Civil War, uh, Estranged, which yeah, some Guns N' Roses fans hate that song, but no, for me, man, that's
1: up there. That's, it's up there. It's yeah, yeah. you know,
0: and some people don't like November Rain, and November Rain is great as well. Like
1: he, so it can't be a bad album, right? No, it's not. There's a ba- bad songs on there's,
0: it. There's there's a couple of bad songs on it. Yeah, but even then, you know, um, there's a uh, you know, even some of the other songs like uh, "Is it She So Fine"? Is that what it's called? How could she look so fine? That's the main tagline of it. That's kind of a little bit of a weaker song, but you've got "You Could Be Mine" on there, yeah, which is on the wrong album because uh Use Your Illusion One." As far as I'm concerned, because "Use Your Illusion One" is the heavier album. You know, it's got things like uh, Lost and... Uh, Gar- was in a
1: fucking Terminator movie, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, Terminator Two. Terminator
1: Two. And oh,
0: it's ch- brilliant. Dun dun ch- dun. Yeah, I, I yeah. think I think s- I preferred Stephen Adler's style. Uh, as a drummer, but that thing that Matt Sorum did on that song is brilliant. That 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 drummer intro is brilliant, and that was an old song. That was from the Appetite era, but they they delayed it. You know, yeah. Now that makes sense there's, because there's a doesn't... line in uh, on the liner notes, I think, of Appetite, which says, "With your bitch slap rackpin and your cocaine tongue, you, you get, get nothing, nothing done. done." But uh, that doesn't appear until then. But it was it's a great song and it's a great riff. And one thing I love about that song is the way it's played. Um, a lot of people, I think, play it as like full power chords. Which it is for the intro, you know the D yeah. change. but a lot of it's actually dyads, yeah, and it's slid and the magic of those
1: early, of those first three. Well, it's it's similar to the whole uh, smoke on the water. Debate. Yeah, it's that kind that's exactly of exactly. Yeah, thing, it's those kind of chords. Yeah, it is on the record. Like. Yeah,
0: and um, if you play it like that, you get a really kind of because I, I think. T- People, when they cover it, they play it straight. You know, they play... down, <makes noise> it, But it's not... It's down, yeah. And one of the things I loved about the early year, and it's more on Appetite than it is on those albums, is how slapdash the rhythm guitar playing is. It's perfectly in time, but Izzy Straddlin always gave it this kind of rough feel. No rhythm part, even in Sweet Child of Mine, no rhythm part is played exactly the same way twice. Yeah. And so it always feels to me like... because. I grew up listening to metal, right? And which, yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I grew up listening to metal, and so much of the Metallica, the Megadeth, the Slayer, the Iron Maiden that I was listening to, everything is so metronomically perfect. Like you think of you think of battery, <coughs> right? That is straight all the way through. Whereas when Guns N' Roses, even Welcome to the Jungle you know the riff is dance 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 yeah it's, like it's but half the, yeah exactly the half like the time like. he's playing it like so it's got this real kind of push and pull thing which i loved about the early guns and roses stuff um and i would say that they lost that when izzy left but they didn't release anything good after izzy left so you know or go yeah.
1: you know Anyway, I feel like at this point anyone who doesn't give a shit about guns and roses <laughs> listening to this podcast is probably <laughs> feeling a little bit yeah. strange.
0: Yeah. Oh <laughs> that was very good. I like that. Yeah, I don't know what you. that thank laugh you. was I did, but that was that was a nice segue. Um was I think and I, this might segue as nicely into the next kind of section of it. Um which is I think the first guitar solo you ever learned was the first solo in knocking on Heaven's Door, true or false.
1: Ooh, that's uh, very possible. Yeah. yeah. It's I a, think when I first correct, met
0: yeah. you, I remember asking you what was the first solo. Can you remember what the first solo I ever learned was?
1: First solo you ever learned? Yeah. Tornado Souls. Oh, and I wish. Took the song? <laughs> um, first solo you ever learned? Was it Metallica, by mm-hmm. any chance? Um, that was a Metallica song. Yeah, what one was it? Um, it wasn't the first solo from Fade to Black, was it? It's not, but it is the first solo from a song that's kind of similar vibe. Right. Okay. Unforgiven. Nope. No, that's a bit tough, isn't it, for a newbie? Yeah. Hey, geez, I don't know, man.
0: The first solo
1: in Sanitarium. Do 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 do.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't play it right. I didn't play it right. You know. That's Kirk. Oh, scathing. Um, Cause there's that little kind of small little sweep, you know. <laughs> 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 but yeah, you know,
1: uh, no, you're probably right about my one. It probably was that. I one.
0: think. Y- I think you said it was. Um, it's a great entry level uh, guitar solo, actually. Yeah.
1: Um, a few little techniques in it, and it's simple. It's slow. It's minor what was, pentatonic.
0: What got you into playing guitar, and what was the first guitar you owned? <sighs> What and I hope the letters B, C, and the letter
1: O then comes no, after that. No, it doesn't, unfortunately. Oh, uh, no! But, uh... Cause I had a B.C. Rich Warlock, guitar. I think.
0: Did you have a B.C. rich Warlock as well?
1: Um, I'll tell you about that shortly. I'll okay. tell you my guitar uh, story real quick. It's, um... When did I get into playing guitar? Man, growing up, seeing my dad's guitar, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I was always going to play guitar. Like. Mm. And then, um... I'd say when I was about 12 or 13... I started kind of tricking about my dad's one. And uh, my dad actually uh, gave me the advice of don't bother playing guitar. It's a waste of time. You'll make no (laughs) money out of it. You'll just fucking waste a lot of time. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) blah, blah, blah. Because, of course, when you're that age, you're like, yeah, this is all I want to do. I want to make money out of this or whatever. And uh, that's, well, that's how I was. But um, I decided to get one of my own. And I loved looking at my dad's guitar, his Fender Strat, which is a what? It's it's a really nice Fender Strat, an American guitar job so i got a guitar that was a fake of one of those which was made by uh, jack and danny oh lovely and a 115 euro uh left-handed strat copy and i uh, played that for a few years how was the action i didn't know what action was at the time <laughs> so i wasn't too concerned
0: the concept of the string yeah. being lowered to the fretboard no, was man, i alien. was happy
1: me fingers were near the fretboard like <laughs> wasn't worried about the intricacies um there was a guy we went to school with um I probably won't name him because I don't really know the dude like but um he gave me a loan of a uh, BC Rich Warlock not an NJ not a Platinum Pro not a Silver but a Bronze oh <laughs> he gave me a BC Rich Bronze Warlock and I remember having it in the room and fucking jamming along to like Maiden and all that shit like Flight of Icarus and all you know the first yeah. one you learn, and uh looking in the mirror and it was like this wardrobe I had was like one of these old like white painted wooden wardrobes with a little like narrow mirror in the middle and I remember just looking into that narrow mirror just playing this fucking basic ass riff <laughs> in this BC Rich Bronze Series Warlock <laughs> and I was like man I am a rock star Yeah, like, this is where I want to go with my life Like,
0: I think it's great that everybody's owned at some point like uh my brother's a big BC Rich aficionado like he loves the 80s stuff when they were a quality company and they put out a lot of good gear and there's people who will no, there probably won't be people listening to this. But if there are people listening to this who know about those guitars, some people will say no. But no, they played, made some great guitars. And my brother, the first guitar he ever owned was a BC Rich Warlock 10 series, hmm. which would have been a precursor to like the Platinums and the Silvers and all that, and the, the Bronzes. Well, I later... Um, and good guitar, good guitar. And it was a great guitar to learn on, so it's great to see that we had the same...
1: Yeah, I later inherited a um, Platinum Pro, and then I later inherited an NJ
0: I'd see, say the NJ was I, good, was it? The NJ
1: was really good, yeah. Yeah. And of course, like I still didn't know a whole lot about guitars. Actually, I still don't know Was the NJ through neck
0: lot. by any chance? I think it was a yeah. through neck, yeah. yeah.
1: It was a nice guitar. It had a much nicer... Um, see, the back of the... <laughs> whatever way they finished <laughs> the bronze ones, I don't know. They just, like, <laughs> throw it to they? some young lad and say, put something sticky on that there. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Keep the wood from going bad. <laughs> you're playing the fucking thing, man, and you're trying to slide up the neck, and your hand is just like... Argh. Oh, it's Lord, horrible. Yeah. Like it's you know my travel that I have now yeah. like and it's like unfinished. It's yeah. like fucking you just wipe it down when you're finished playing and it's so slick, man. It's like beautiful yeah this thing was like it just felt like a mad heavy <laughs> like varnish, rub- rubbing
0: like. your hand over like the you know the Do you know uh, like
1: a really shiny painted door oh you yeah imagine, like putting all the pressure of your hand on that and then rubbing your hand downwards th- and I, it's almost squeaks i was that's thinking what it's, like, of, like changing chords you know, the on glass, a fucking bronze
0: warlock you know the glass coffee tables you get you know yeah, those wooden yeah, coffee yeah. tables you get with like a rectangular bit of glass on it like and you put your hand on it it's like yeah yeah, yeah. like
1: that that's it wow yeah So that for me, actually, as somebody who doesn't get like too into the, um, you know, parts and, you know, understanding the build of guitars and stuff. It is something I'd like to get into more, but I don't know a whole lot about it. But the one thing I really notice is the neck on a guitar. Like that's the one thing that grabs me. It's like if I play a Les Paul, I just cannot play it. Mm. It's like a fast neck and it makes my hand cramp like after I play a couple of songs on it. Or like one with a really heavy finish or a varnish yeah. or something like that. I just don't like. Uh, I like a really bare, naked wood kind of that you can move along uh, easily and m- a skinny neck.
0: My two main guitars that I play, the 7-string and the, the, R- the Ivanis RG, the 7-string has a thin finish on the neck, so it's easy to play. And then the RG, like your charvel, it's unfinished. Mm. And I could never go back to a, a gloss neck. It's, ugh, yeah. it's rotten. It's I, weird, isn't it? And um, when you were playing your you
1: beast... You feel like you should choke your hands. Yeah. Or like.
0: Oh, It's just so uh, so uncomfortable. What kind of songs are you playing on your NJ series? If you were playing Maiden and stuff on your... Yeah, yeah on and your platinum NJ, Or on been, your uh, bronze.
1: I would have been playing a lot of Megadeth. i have been playing a lot of Megadeth. And um, later I would have been playing kind of some drop-D stuff. So uh, we would have been playing drop-D versions of bands who played in like CGCF, 80, like, uh, I don't know, like Children of Bodom and... Uh, I think Machine Head, who played even lower. Yeah. You know? um, he used to play these songs in Drop D, and that's probably where I was at when I had the NJ, yeah. How
0: did you learn the songs in the different tuning? Well, <laughs>
1: <laughs> like that's a feat of transposition. Like that's It's a feat of transposition, yeah, yeah. but it's a feat of... Um, a lot of it is like, you know, we would have learned a lot of stuff through tabs, like looking yes. up tabs on the internet. And like seeing how Riff was played, and you play it over the song, and you'd be like, this is crazy, this is not it. And it's like, oh, of course, they're like fucking. There are a couple of frets back that way. Like. Yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> it's just a matter of playing with it then. And and, um,
0: and did you move the frets to compensate? No, no, yeah.
1: God, no. You moved everything. You moved the vocal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, we're down the here with frets. You yeah. know, yeah, you play exactly what's written on the tab and everybody else moves around. <laughs> like that, that's how it is. The guy on the bass, he only has to play root notes anyway. <laughs> oh. It's like we do that. And the vocalist, <laughs> he fucking can't sing for shit. So. <laughs> I just fucking do what I can pull off and then, you know, yeah, let the rest can fall into What play. was the
0: first band that you were in then?
1: The first band I was in was actually uh, a band with uh, three guitar players.
0: Oh, madness! Okay,
1: cool. <laughs> and nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> Literally three guitars. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Uh, we were called Exophonic. Right, good name. Yeah. And, um, yeah, Sound Emitting. Yeah. I think the Oxford Dictionary will tell you there. Yeah. And uh, there were three of us, and we played songs like... Um, we played Basket Case by Green Day. Cool. And then slightly more ambitiously, which is actually a great song, was uh Don't Forget Me by the Chilies. Oh yeah. And I remembered that one specifically because he used to play the shit and it was like you know, anyone who knows that song is like, you know, boom, 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 boom. And whatever. But there's a lead bit that comes over and it's just John Frusciante on the fucking guitar and he's doing this like tremolo picking just open on the high E's. It's like i was <laughs> just feeling i was like a total noob guitar player doing this thing where one of us was playing the riff and i was just there going ham on the open e just going <laughs> <laughs> it's like ah, yeah it was like again like i'm a fucking rock star like <laughs> you didn't try uh down picking all of it did you the mistake oh god no i don't have the stamina <laughs>
0: <No way. laughs>
1: fuck me yeah remember we played a gig there in a band that after that era i don't know if we're gonna get to that but uh a later band that I was playing in, and uh, myself and the other guitar player were playing all these Metallica riffs and shit like that. And uh, we went out the side of the stage afterwards. And the next band that were coming on, we were cool with them. There was cool guys, and uh, the guitar player was really good. And he said something like, lads, you lads are mad. You're fucking downpick everything." Like, and I had never thought about it. Like, yeah. But like we were doing like alternate picking riffs, but we were going. Like fucking hell, man. It's it's mad. Like to think that there is this moment where you discover. See, because uh, you learn from tabs. You, yeah. you play the fucking number that's written there. and then Yeah. And uh, I transitioned. Sorry, do you, I'll let you say what you were saying. No, 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 you're fine. Yep. I uh, transitioned after that to a kind of a conscious move to uh, involving my ear in what I was doing. And uh, the way I developed my ear uh, in terms of playing guitar was I would listen to songs and I would have the guitar in my hand and I'd just, like, lie on my bed and I would try and play the vocal melody. That's a great so idea. So I'd i get a feel for, like what key the song is in, what notes belong, what ones don't. I could kind of embellish, like, you know, the singer might sing a high note and I could embellish, give it an extra bit of thrill or, yeah. you know, follow. It's kind of like, if you know the solo from uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana, that's yeah. a really obvious example of it because, you know, it's <laughs> load up on girls. You know, the guitar is playing the vocal melody. So I would just, like, put on songs that I really liked or, like, even corny pop songs. Or, like I remember doing it with... Um, Against All Odds by Phil Collins and uh, trying to just play the thing. And I wasn't able to do it, but I was like feeling out the fretboard. Yes. And, and uh, you know, I would still do that. Like I'd still like be listening to tunes sometime and i just have the guitar in my hand and just play out the vocal melodies. I, I think, I think it's, it's, it shows you how melodies relate yeah, to the song. Yeah, absolutely. It shows you a good way of constructing a melody
0: and it gets, your, it gets your fingers to start connecting with the sounds you're hearing, you know?
1: Yeah. So Which, I think that's uh, not a bad way to do it.
0: Do you mind me asking, who was the band who
1: were on after you? Um, just, just, uh, yeah, that was a band called Roulette. Oh, and right. And the guitar player in question was uh, Dara Connolly, who was a great guitar player. Yeah. Really good. And uh, they were a class band, like back in those days. It was like Kevin Farrell, Luke Butt, um, Dan Corey, and Dara Connolly. Great band. All fabulous musicians. Yeah, brilliant. All They're fabulous. all still great, and as far as I know, they're all still active in music. I don't know... Uh, actually, I don't know what Dara and Dan are doing, but like they're too good to not be doing something. Like, you know, yeah. you gotta be doing something. That's crazy. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, it was those guys. They were great. Like, yeah. 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 No, they were coming on that, that particular gig, the band that I referenced that I was in was chaotic. was the metal band I was in for a good few years. Oh yes. Sometimes. And uh, we played that gig. And then I remember just coming off and we're coming on to set on and Dara kind of tapped me and said, yeah. you boys are fucking mad while he was down picking everything. Like, <laughs> yeah. I suppose you only learn from looking at how other people do things, yeah. right? You
0: can't, it's very hard to be introspective and, and to learn another approach. You kind of forge your own path. And it's only when somebody else says to you, did you ever think about doing it this way? That you kind of go, really? I, I I didn't realize I yeah. was. I remember when I was playing with uh, Luke and Luke used to up pick everything. He learned because he was lefty, right? And he learned to uh, lefty playing righty. And he learned to up Everything.
1: Yeah, I know, that struggle.
0: Yeah, and he said he just found it easier as being a lefty playing on a righty guitar to up-pick. He just said whatever for him. And uh, it was only when he saw later on these other people guitar and they were like, why do you up-pick? You should down-pick. Uh, but he, he'd killer alternate picking because by the time he got to down-picking, his up-pick was so good. Yeah, And crazy, the best... Th- lefties who play right have the best left-hand legato. Mm. You know, uh, Donnie used to have great hammer-ons and pull-offs. Like, he could just... Brrrr, and uh, coffee was the same. Like, he could just... It's,
1: it's do you think there's a possibility that left-handed people... Are better tend guitar to be no? no, that <laughs> left-handed people tend to be more ambidextrous than right-handed people.
0: I think... there, Yes. And I think the reason for that is because the world is largely right-handed. Yes. Yeah. And so, therefore, it forces them to... have like to Like, there's do
1: not a leftorium in every town, so... No. Like... Like, you know, and for and the listeners, no either for all four <laughs> listeners, I'm left handed mm. and I'm in a right handed world. Like, all the instruments I use like, I don't mean musical instruments, all the instruments I use in everyday life mm. are right handed. So, of course, I'm gonna have to develop a, a right hand. And uh, I don't know, for me, it's always been like my hand for dexterity and fine tasks is my left hand, mm. and my strong hand is my right hand. Okay. So, like, I'd pick something heavy up with my right hand, you know, I'd throw a punch with my right hand but like i do fine tasks like I thread a needle with my left i'd write a sentence with my left
0: my father does everything right-handed except right mm. he writes left-handed everything else he's right-handed everything else yeah he says if you ask him are you left or right-handed He'd say right-handed but he writes with his left that's interesting that's so weird
1: but does the question are you left or right-handed mean do you write with your left or your right hand
0: I don't know. I presume are you left or right-handed means what hand would you lead with? So, I mean, if he was playing snooker. What does lead mean? Uh, I suppose if you're digging.
1: If you're digging? <laughs> <Yeah>. What, what <laughs> is digging the benchmark? <laughs> oh,
0: well, or if you're playing snooker or anything where two <laughs> hands are involved. Like a right... I, I dig like a left-handed person. Right. I don't know how I dig. I So, a, a, le- a right-handed person will have their right hand at the back of the shovel and their left hand yeah, at the Yeah, see, I'd have
1: my left hand at the back of the shovel.
0: Yeah, because you're left-handed, okay. right? I dig with my left hand at the back of the shovel. And well. how
1: often would you dig? Uh, well, I'm clearing out my garden at the moment, so <laughs> once or twice a week. But oh, jizz with the high pollen count that's <laughs> going on, you're a brave man. Yeah, hey. just
0: know uh, <laughs> it's uh, yeah. I dig left. I dig like a lefty, yeah, but I play snooker like a righty. I do everything else like a righty, but I do go See, like This is the
1: great thing about podcasting is I've known you for so long and I've never known that you were a keen digger and snooker <laughs> I've player. I've known
0: you so long and I never knew you were a fan of Shaggy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the off-off topic <laughs> podcast, <laughs> breaking new ground. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Which, incidentally, when digging...
1: Oh, s- look at that. Stop! Look Bye. at God. Isn't God great? Yay.
0: So that's... that's Yeah, that's that's something I'd never... That I, I suppose i never thought about is left-handed writing with your left hand, or is it predominantly most tasks which lead with the left hand yeah
1: i would think that the question you know if you if you think about words the question means obviously like what is your most dominant one mm. or something like that but i think the way like if you ask somebody are the left or right-handed they're talking about like what do you write with
0: yeah i think that's more i think most that's what it is i think most people's benchmark is uh what hand right. you write with yeah.
1: which isn't necessarily what's your strongest hand like because, oh. for example, my thing—I'm—I'm I'm right-handed, strong, and left-handed, fine, you know, delicate.
0: And you never tried playing guitar right-handed on the
1: on no, the? I tried. It feels weird. Yeah, uh, I think it's uh, it's it's
0: harder to be in a left-handed, you know, a left-handed player in a right-handed guitar world. There's so less, like, so much less uh, options and availability for finding gear. Did you ever have problems getting guitars or anything like that? Or
1: um, I would have had if I was more into like, you know, into the gear thing but I was kind of able to just look at what left-handed guitars were available and pick one I liked, you know? Yeah. If I was one that wanted something really specific, I'd definitely have a problem. Yeah. But no, I'm not really that guy.
0: You can kind of get, like, boutique models and, and oh, uh, you can, yeah, custom but, you models know. quite readily, but mainstream guitars, it's harder. The selection is quite limited.
1: Yeah, yeah. it is. It's, uh, you're kind of talking about your, um, your lower-to-mid-range Ibanezes and a couple of Charvels. Um, strat copies, a couple of Les Pauls, stuff like that. Yeah. And then for anything like really niche you're spending a lot of money like yeah. to get a good lefty.
0: What do you uh what do you make of your time in the uh, in the wonderful band known as Globex? Do you remember those Globex? Days?
1: <laughs> Tell me about Globex and then I'll answer you. <laughs> what so was Globex?
0: Globex was um a band that came out of the uh came out of the um creative Idea of following Hank Scorpio, uh, from The Simpsons. No, no, it wasn't. It was uh, we entered a talent competition. We did called Longford's Got Talent, and it was the second one.
1: We uh, auditioned.
0: We auditioned, and thankfully, they needed ten bands, and I think or twelve bands, and I think eleven people applied.
1: What did we audition with? I can't remember. We
0: auditioned with "Living on a Prayer" by Bon Jovi. <laughs> oh yeah,
1: and it. dude said uh, Judge A said that uh, it sounded like a death metal version. Of yeah, like which. Fuck it's me, I don't know what death metal you've been listening to, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Alan Herdy on the Blast Beats. <laughs> <laughs> we <can hold> on. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, it was certainly not like that. I just remember we didn't do the key change because I couldn't sing that high. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then we decided for the first, once we got through the auditions, we decided that Mono was going to sing. And we became much more bluesy because we then went to... Uh, uh,
1: did shit like Layla and a bit of Deep Purple stuff and what things did like
0: we? That. Yeah, we did... Um, yeah, our Born first song was Born
1: to Be Wild. I don't think that was our first one because didn't we swap instruments for that one? I think I played drums on that one, did I? Um,
0: no, I'm I don't tr- know. You could be right. We definitely did change around the instruments. Um, I remember we did Sharp Dressed Man and we all wore suits that week. Yeah, that was cool. That was cool. A bit of creativity
1: there, you know. But well, yeah, no. To answer your question, uh, I had a great time in that band. Yeah, that was it was great, Greg. Good, bu- good band. It was good. Um, yeah, it was kind of a good blend of like musicianship and fun and performance element of it. Like, yeah, which is always nice.
0: It was always great getting back from college on the Friday, and getting in the car and then just going off to <laughs> parties and uh, rehearsing for two hours and then. I remember up. we had
1: this uh, master plan for what we were doing in the final. It was going to be fucking amazing and um we went in and uh a couple of band members got very drunk i'm not gonna lie i was one of them and uh we went into the back room where people were jamming and we had the guitars and shit like that and myself and alan were kind of jamming away and mono was singing a few things they're like do you know what we should do we should do a medley of this and that yeah yeah it's like we had our plan for the final made like ages ago And we were like yeah fuck it that'll be class like we'll do that yeah we started jamming this thing and we went out on stage and um we did that and uh it was great. It was fun. Yeah. There's a video. There's video evidence of that. If you Google, um, or sorry, if you YouTube uh, Mustang Sally Globex, you'll uh, you'll see what happened. Because we're playing like Mustang Sally, and at some point, like Alan hits the fucking.
0: Crash oh, he drops the stick.
1: Stick goes flying out of his hand, but he recovers really well. Yeah. He did really good. And he shakes his head and only yeah, the only it's way funny. Alan can. It's just yeah, I think it's the only. Uh, no, there's probably one other video on YouTube. But the Rumor same has it, yeah, or the or
0: original, yeah. the original that you did the week I was away. which was, uh, I think it was a good experience for me. That was my first live experience. I'd never played live. I played at, like, two school concerts, one of which I played guitar and one of which I sang at.
1: Yeah. Uh, And now it's like... Full time job really.
0: Yeah, yeah, I gig most weekends now and it's I suppose I'm not playing the rock and metal guitar that I always envisioned that I would So what
1: you're saying is every member of Globex should get a cut from all your future <laughs> musical endeavors because we kinda you know <laughs> cut your teeth as it were. I'm
0: not giving mono anything <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, you were a shy retiring teenager and we kinda brought you out into the mainstream. This
0: kinda that's kinda true though. Mm. I mean, there's there's truth to that, you know, I was very I think I was much quieter when I first met you guys. Uh, yeah, I was too. Yeah, we all. I think no, actually, I think I think I was. Um, I think Brandon and Mono probably weren't, but I think I was definitely quiet, and you were fairly quiet as well. Yeah, I?
1: in the pre-production meeting when we were speaking about uh, podcasting and stuff like that. Mm. And, uh, yeah, no, that's a joke, by the way. It's funny. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there was no pre-production meeting. Yeah. <laughs> we just turned on the mics and started <laughs> talking shit. <Yeah>. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, like, I'm big into um, a lot of podcasts now. Yes. I listen to a lot of podcasts. And the podcast thing is on a fucking boom at the moment. It's huge. Yeah. It's kind of, um, it's like on-demand radio. You know, it's shit that you can consume anywhere at any time yeah. without much commitment. Yeah, and it's uh, in favor of artists and con- content creators—people yes. who can just get in a room and create something, create something and put, and it, and out put there, it out there, and, release and you know, people might enjoy it. And uh, I was thinking about podcasting and like all it entails. I was like, you know, I feel like I'm at a point in my life now where. I can have a decent conversation, and I enjoy having a conversation. Yeah, but like a couple of years ago, man, I was shit at having a conversation. Do you think so? I yeah. couldn't do it. Yeah, it I was like
0: f- I always found me and you had good conversation. Always. Thought yeah, that. but
1: I was like super, like shy and reclusive and shit like that. And I feel like there was literally a time in my life when I was like, I'd go to like a session or something like that, mm. and I'd be like guzzling cans really quickly at the start of the session, so I could get to a point where I could have like easy conversation. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I was like super nervous and shit like that, and it wasn't until I kind of got on the gravy train where it's like, oh, now I'm in my yeah, zone. Yeah, like, I, I let's find have a that now. Like,
0: I always find that. for me. I've always, and in, uh, well, initially meeting new people, it can be hard to have a conversation. Hmm. I think, um, but when I was always in, you know, when when I was eighteen, nineteen, and I was going to like the first house parties and that kind of thing, and meeting new people and socializing with musicians a lot. Yeah, I I liked having the the conversations, and you know, I think about how I how I got to meet a lot of my friends. You know, um, getting to know Mac and was through conversation, good con- long conversation where you just, what's your thing? What are you into? You know, and yeah, with Brendan and that, and you know, it's funny. I've actually found the opposite as I've gotten older. I find it harder to have those conversations. I find That's adults have really, really kind of clear ideas about what they're about. And so it's harder to break into that conversation because the exploration isn't the paths. And I I think that a lot of the paths are already clearly marked, uh, and so that 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 joy of having that kind of discovery of what f- makes someone else a little bit different and what makes them tick, and you're kind of evolving and growing as people. I think it's a
1: dangerous uh, thing to fall into is like ever becoming like set in your ways, yeah, or believing like you've only you've discovered the only correct path or shit like that yeah i think you always need to be open to like
0: or even worse that everybody else's path is wrong
1: yeah yeah but you should be able to like have a conversation and listen to people like a lot of the time when people are having a conversation all they're thinking about is what am i going to say when this person stops talking that is 90 percent of conversation it's like especially you know if somebody has a few drinks or whatever and they're talking to somebody and you know they're going on about the shit that they love or whatever Mm. and somebody else starts to tell them about their experience of it and while the other person is talking, it was like, "Oh, I can't wait until he shuts the fuck up so I can say this next thing." Yeah, and, I, uh, you know, like, can you relate to that? Yeah, I can relate
0: to that. I think uh, I can relate to that uh, in certain situations. I find nowadays that when I'm listening to, you know, people talking, I find it hard to contribute to a conversation. Not not like this. This is cool, but sometimes when I'm having conversations with people, um, they talk and then I'm sitting there and I'm going, "They you know, kind of like what you're saying, but. It's when they get to the end, and I'm like, I have well, nothing. Is it my to, go now, like it's my go now, but I have nothing to add. And then they're like, and what do you think? I've, I have no real opinion on it. Mm. And some people get really annoyed by that because that I'm looks like,
1: standoffish.
0: Like it does, but if I have, if I don't think something is is contributing, I'm not going to say it. And the see, this is
1: where the like, it's like um, what people would. Put in the bracket of like social skills is these little tricks that you have when you don't give a fuck to pass yourself off as like being pleasant anyway. I, it's I, like somebody I, will yeah. say something to you and you don't give a fuck and you go, "Oh, that's cool."
0: I, I, I really find it uncomfortable when I find people who can talk all the time mm. about stuff that I think is is really redundant, and they say it because it, it it comes across as sociable and like that, you know, a social skill. And I sit there going, "Social social skills are
1: tricks," like
0: yeah. And some people have them better. And the thing that scares me is the fact that a lot of people really respect them. And I sit there kind of going, are they doing it? The the hard thing there is, are they doing it because they want to make other people feel good? Or are they doing it because they want to make themselves look good?
1: Yeah, well, I I referred to somebody uh, when we spoke in pre-production as a a room chameleon. Yes. And to me, like, (laughs) using that term as like, this person is a room chameleon. I don't think this person has a very defined personality. I don't think this person has very defined interests or, like, knows what they're about. I think this person, depending on who they're around, chameleons and is like, you know, this is how I am now. Like, And I don't know what th- that person is like in their own private time because I can't even imagine. Yeah. Because I've seen them be such different things around different people. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that to me is... Um, it's obviously a really negative thing because it's like it's really fake and insincere. But at the same time, that person is doing that from a place of insecurity. Yes. Because that person wants to be liked by everybody. I,
0: I, think, I think, the more I think about it, I think so many people have, I think everybody has insecurities. Everybody. Of course. And, uh, and I think s- the way that we, we organize ourselves as society and the things that we value, that allows certain people's insecurities to be put more on show than others. So the social butterfly, the person who can just know it's a fine day just know you won't find the Christmas yeah, Christmas not too Christmas bad Christmas yourself, and, You know, and that, that, that kind of conversation is all waffle. It doesn't add anything. But, you know, the person who can talk to anybody... But that
1: person looks it, pleasant, don't they?
0: Yeah, but there's other things that they're not good at. But say the things that I might struggle with where I'm breaking into a conversation f- for the first time... That's something that would make me feel nervous, a little anxious. But then there are other things that I can do. I'm diligent. I'm quiet. I can sit on my own for long periods of time. I don't worry about what other people say about me on social media. But then there's people out there with huge hang-ups about all of that. Mm. And they're social butterflies. But inside, they struggle, you know.
1: But it's like, what do you weight more heavily? It's like, at the surface, like social skills and stuff is weighted very heavily. It it's is. Just because it's so blatant to look at. It's like the other stuff might actually carry more weight.
0: Oh, absolutely. Well, I think there's a lot of show and tell and very little uh, very little substance for a lot of that, you know? Um, I suppose there's always been that saying of the empty can rattles the most, but I'm always worried about people who go into a work environment and on the first day they're talking to everybody. I find that utterly bizarre.
1: Hmm.
0: Do, you, do you get me? Like the person who can just sit down and start talking and like, I'm new
1: and I'm great. And a girl came from I'm for like, an interview in a company yeah. that I worked in before. Mm. And... Um, the manager of the place asked me to bring her home because she happened to live down near where I was and uh, she had gotten the train up or whatever. Yeah. She had to get a lift back with me. And she sat in the car and she gave a commentary about everybody who worked in the place. And like she was so loud and uh, forward and shit like that. About She had opinions formed about the boss. And, and the this first day working her. here, was it? And she was asking me this, that and the third. And uh, no, it was a person who went for an interview on the and way it, home and what? I was like, fucking hell she's bombarding me with all this stuff like and uh, some of the shit she said was you know accurate enough like such yeah. a fella seems really brash or such a guy is very quiet and this kind of stuff and I was like fuck me how can you be so like out of yourself that quickly because if i went into like an interview like that i would be like super reserved same and really like uh, keep to myself speak to the people try and say the right thing get out of there go home hope yep. you get the job that that's uh, i would have the this same. chick looked like she went in like she fucking owned the place yeah and i uh, i don't know she didn't get the job as it happens and you know no shade i don't know the girl but um i dropped her back and man when she got out of the fucking thing when i dropped her home i went whew Fucking yeah. hell! That was intense. I, 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 you know, I. People I think, are crazy.
0: I think it's a lack of. A, I think it's a lack of conscientiousness. I think it's a lack of the ability to see how other people might perceive you, and I think it's a lack of an ability to understand how others behave differently. That and 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 you're so like do 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 people like that? Do they lack some sort of conscience that they don't even look at themselves, or how, do they not have the ability to look at themselves and go? I might be overstepping the mark here. I'm saying too much for my first day. Because, like, it's all... Well, I always think it's great to have an opinion on something. That's great. But that doesn't mean you have to share it straight away without thinking about it thoroughly through first. And I think, you know... I. So many people, I, I, I think it's so strange when you see so many people who come out and they just say stuff straight away and they yeah. know the right thing to say. I kind of look at that and I kind of go, hold on, something's not right here. You can't have it sussed out that quickly. And I'll be honest with you, dude, I think people like that go in with a game plan. They go, this is how I am. I'm going to look like this. I'm going to be a boss. And uh, and that's great for the first day, but like after a while, I think that lacks substance.
1: Yeah, it's like this thing of... Um do you know these kind of courses that, like, big companies, like a lot of big American companies and shit run for the staff? Where oh, you like, mean uh, what
0: I call Google uh, Google, Google team fucking, working?
1: How to be ultra effective in the workplace and all this shit. Yeah, but and you go in and they tell you to put your chest out and you, fucking, you walk in the room with your head held high and you say things like self-affirmations and all this kind of shit. Like, to me, yeah, you'll fool somebody who feels a little bit down on themselves or a little bit weaker of character or something like that they'll see someone with their chest puffed out and they'll think oh yeah that guy's fucking you know he's something and that kind of shit but it's all so surficial all that shit is so surficial there's no depth to it no and the thing is that's coming from a place of i'm not going to say insincerity but it's like it's uh it's acting it's not like if you have an issue with feeling confident in yourself the way to address it isn't by puffing out your chest it's by going into your head and realizing why you feel that way yeah and once you understand that maybe you won't feel that way anymore yeah. or maybe you'll get to the root of why you feel that I, way I think, and you'll address that i think a lot of those like, people you stand up there you puff <laughs> your chest out and you walk through the office like the big swinging fucking dick it doesn't change how you feel inside it might make other people think oh that boy's the business but like how you go to home in the evening and you go to bed that guy isn't there like standing by your bedside telling you how fucking unreal you are like
0: yeah I think there's a lot of things like this you know the Jordan Peterson argument about hold your head back and stuff and it's great for people who are lacking in confidence to try and build up their own confidence but I I think I think you're right I think there's a lot of people who go in like that and and when I see those people and 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 they do it my workplace isn't full of full of that but I've seen it through through Mm. throughout my life so far it's rife in the
1: corporate world.
0: Yeah, it's rife in the corporate world because everything in the corporate world is about, not everything, that's a, That's hyperbolic, but, you know, a lot of the corporate world is about sell, 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 and it doesn't matter how good the product is. So it's all about image. It's all about does this, does this. Yeah, I remember seeing, what do you call him, um, your man from the Rubber Bandits. What's his name? Blind Boy. Blind Boy, right? And Blind Boy was talking on Tommy Tiernan about the soap, you know? Mm. and the soap will make a better person of you. It's not good soap, you know. In a real world, someone will wash themselves with the soap, and it'll be the best cleaning soap. It'll get you perfectly clean. You'll smell great. Brilliant. But no, they sell it to you of this beautiful person using it and rubbing them all over themselves, so it makes you attractive. And I think so much of the corporate world is show rather than substance. Sell you a better better version of yourself rather than... I did a personality test, and I came out as highly agreeable, which means I like to try and work out things and work things through and make to make things work as best as I can and I'll agree with things, which can be difficult in certain scenarios. But a lot of people who are like that, they try and walk over people like me because their attitude is, is I will get places by looking like a leader. Yeah. But you give them jobs and after a while, you know, because I, I, I'm not saying this from the point of view of schools, you know, I worked in, re- well, I worked in a shop for three years. So, you know, it's it's a myriad of things. But those people often, those those show don't tell those those um those really confident operators. I've seen so, I, I remember once But that ch- shit,
1: man, that, that whole thing is, it's all surficial. Like. Yeah. It's like you can't have a strong flower with a weak seed. It's that type of thing, you know, it's like the <laughs> these people, it's its a veneer.
0: But are, are these people, are these people who are worried about how people perceive them in terms of how much success that they have and, you know, I have to look like I've achieved this to be considered successful. Do they Do they worry about what other people think, really? I think they might. Yeah. yeah no, I they obsess
1: they, over it. Yeah. They don't just worry about it, they obsess. It's their life's work to make other people like them.
0: That's a sad existence,
1: isn't it? Yeah, but it's a sense of purpose, isn't
0: it? I wonder if, yeah. It's possible that purpose is different. Yeah, yeah, purpose is different for everyone, isn't it? Like, why? Of course it is. What will get you up in the morning is different to what will get me up in the morning. Yeah. I think that's, you know, I think that's one thing as I've been on this planet for just over 30 years that, you know, what makes people tick. You know, I'm fascinated Mm. by serial killers. What yeah. the hell makes them like that? You know.
1: Yeah.
0: And I know it sounds like a really naive way of saying it, but some of the best questions we can ask are naive ones. Is like, why?
1: Naive questions are questions that surrender any prior knowledge and just be like, tell me what you know. That's definitely true. Tell and me th- what you know. I think, and that's that's the way you learn, man. Naive mm-hmm. questions are the best questions, They're the yeah. purest questions.
0: I think you know Louis Theroux. Yes. I think that's why he is the best. One of those yeah, best documentaries because. Yeah. His questions are so naive, but yet so totally understandable. Yeah. And he can say, I remember watching his one on, um, I was watching the one he did on prostitution and the one he did on um, the American city with um, drug issues. And he just come out and say, do you not feel like you're abusing yourself? You're letting your family down. And you know, like you could pose it like a Dr. Phil, you know, why are you doing this? You're letting these But he didn't. He was just like, and no one ever takes offense to his questions. No. They're just like, I never thought Because he's so it like likeable
1: that. too and he's not. Uh, there's, he comes with no judgment.
0: I'll tell you another person who I, who I was watching recently as well who was really, really good at that was James Randi. You know, the ma- magician James yes, Randi. Yeah, yeah. And he was questioned. He said, you know, someone said to him, debunk. And he said, no, no, no. He said, I don't debunk. He said, because debunk implies I'm coming with a prior agenda. Mm. He said, I look what's in front of me and I go... It's possible. Let's yeah, do a series yeah, yeah, yeah. of control tests that test that possibility. And every time the possibility is called into question and, and we find it false, he said. But I'm not here to show these people they're wrong. I don't want to show people that they're wrong. God forbid! It's not my agenda to 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 make um people unhappy, especially when they're getting, you know, whatever sense of
1: positivity Did from you psychic see that mediums. Fucking, um, that shit. The other day, I posted it. Uh, about a DVD that came in my letterbox and it was like, you know, evolution debunked. Yeah. Fucking proof of miracles. and Yeah, yeah. I saw that, yeah. And, uh, (laughs) it's like nuts. I was thinking about, like, the whole, um, I saw a statistic there. It was was probably two years ago I saw it, but it said something like, uh, in a recent survey of Americans, there were, like, greater than 60% of them think that evolution is a myth. And, uh, The greatest objection to evolution that people put forward is that, but it's only a theory. And look, just sit with that for a second. Evolution is only a theory. That's because people say the theory of evolution. Are you with me so far? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. People say the theory of evolution, so then people can say, but it's only a theory. Yeah. Okay, so let's have a go at that, right? Mm. The theory of evolution because they're calling it the theory of evolution, that doesn't mean that somebody has just gone, I have this theory. That would be a you know, hypothesis, correct? That this chimpanzee yeah. turned into a human. But that would be a hypothesis. Like Take yeah. this example. You're a musician, right? Yeah. You go there and I say, uh, play me uh, C harmonic minor scale or something like that. Yeah. And you play it using music theory. That doesn't mean because you've sat there and you go, in theory, this could work. The theory is the rules. Yes. Music theory evolutionary theory yes it's a it's a second connotation yes. of the word theory yes it's not like hypothesis it's not yes. like uh, conjecture or anything like that it's theory it's rules yes and it's uh, rules based on observation which Zero. is completely transferable from music because nobody is saying like oh this you know this uh, note should relate to this note because of a mathematical formula it's through observation yes people have watched all the relationships they've mapped them out and that forms the backbone of music theory. So then people, knowing these relationships, can work off music theory yes. and develop an understanding of it. Persu- evolution is exactly the same. People have observed the relationships. They have a fossil record. They have a genetic record. They have observations. They have everything. And all these things form the theory of evolution. Yes, <laughs> which is not theory in the sense of I have this theory yes. that I think this guy might have turned into this guy. Yeah. That's a, look in a fucking dictionary. Presumably people. it's it's, it's That's a, not
0: the fucking shit. Like, presume, I remember when my dad was on the podcast and he talked about the difference between a law and a rule. Yes, I remember and, that. Uh, and I, I assume it's something like that, presumably because theories have... Uh, it sounds
1: like a weak word, doesn't it? Yeah. If, you're, if you're somebody who wants to get at that, You go, oh, it's a theory, is it? Oh, well, I have a theory that that's not the case. If it
0: can't be proved by experimentation, it can't become a rule or a law. So presumably we can't, there are certain things in evolution that we can't do through experimentation, right? Evolution takes place over thousands of years. So it has to be a theory because it's not, because it's not observational in our lifespan, within a lifespan of you or me. We we can't... No, because we're dealing with evolutionary timescales. Exactly. So you can't quantify it in it it is this
1: you can quantify it in terms of our time scale yeah. but you can't observe it within and our time I'm scale and
0: presumably that's why it's a theory rather than a hard fast law or rule it's there's there are so no, but I'm
1: there to challenge that like what i say is it's a hard fast law or rule because it's it's like evolutionary theory it's the science oh, yeah. of evolution yeah
0: so like what's another one you could say um uh, like theory
1: another... doesn't mean it's an idea no You know, it's a set of observations (laughs) and rules created based on those observations. And those observations are wide-ranging and cover millions and millions of years. And, of course, we have an incomplete fossil record because how the fuck would you have anything otherwise? Mm. Because we're talking about the entire history of the planet. But everywhere we look, the evidence is the same. It's evolution by natural selection everywhere in the animal kingdom. And it's just undeniable. I think people have the idea that theory
0: it's one little sentence like you said about this is the theory of evolution. It yeah. is that, that I'd have this thing that But it's about this
1: kind of uh linguistical acrobatics that people like to get into when they don't support something. But I think they bo- look for a weak word. That's and then bore of ignorance though, isn't it. it?
0: I mean that's bore of ignorance. It's it's people not understanding the full um the full um composition of the argument and kind of looking at it in a you know, again, it's like almost like the naive thing we were talking about earlier. But the the flip the flip side of that, it's so naive that there's no prior knowledge that you 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 take a word at its full face value rather than mm. what it means. You know, it's like um, it's like where uh, I'll give you a good example. It's like um, you know, the sentence "Your work is outstanding," mm. right?
1: Yeah, so it's good,
0: you know. You you look at that, and someone who might be a little bit naive might go, "Oh my, my work is great." But if 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 a university, <laughs> if a university lecturer sends that to you, and they go, "Your work is outstanding," it's like shit. I have to get my assignments in. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So you know, so context are, is important. Context is yeah, context is important, and it's like um, sometimes inquisitive questions with naivety, I think, are great. I think uh, challenging questions with naivety can almost be bore of ignorance.
1: Can you have challenging questions with naivety?
0: Well, I think the problem is just too many people do ask those questions and that's No, but
1: I, I don't understand. Like to me like they would all be innocent questions if they're truly naive because to me, challenging is like you have an idea of why this person might be wrong or what you're trying to attack. Absolutely. But if,
0: if you if you think you have a, a point of argument that you can challenge someone with and you make it very direct as an attack, but you don't have the full facts, mm. a little knowledge is a dangerous thing.
1: Yes. Yeah, so yeah,
0: that's yeah. that's kind of where I'm coming okay, at with right, that. Right, right. But uh, I think if you're asking an inquisitive question, is and why w- why would this occur? If that's that, then why would that occur? And then you can give an answer that that fills in that gap. I
1: think naivety in the question, the innocence, is good. You know, the whole wave now is like climate change. That's yes. the whole like politically hip thing. And all yes, parts. yeah, yeah. How many people engaged in these debates and in the politics surrounding all this stuff, and the people who are doling out the money for various causes? How many do you think? Have a clue about the science of climate change
0: i think very few and i think it's really really worrying that there's a huge pressure put on governments uh and large corporations for climate change and um, because i don't believe those people and it'll sound controversial to say i don't believe those people are necessarily wholly responsible nor are they in the scientific position to understand why they should be responsible and mm. um, here's the thing, I believe that if we if we see climate change, and you'll know more I should probably inform the listeners at this point that Sean has a, a master's scientific master's in geology and studied uh, sciences for his primary degree uh, that you know, I, I think there's a lot of people who talk about climate change and they say, you know oh, you know, Nestle and, and what's the other one, palm oil and all mm-hmm. these kind of things and we're ripping down rainforests uh, to make western people happy Um, And this is contributing, right? Well, there's no doubt that, you know, destroying rainforests is not good for the environment. But let's be honest, I think a lot of people want to keep living their very comfortable uh, Western life. And they think that climate change is a threat to that. And a lot of them don't want to take the responsibility that if there is a climate change happening, it's because you get in your car and drive to work every day and that sort of thing I think there's a lot more responsibility on the individual but to get back to your question no I don't think a lot of people understand the science I don't understand the science fully and I don't really want to I don't really want to engage with a lot of other people on it because one of the
1: things I said to you in pre-production was that um, (laughs) we uh, came back to this (laughs) pre-production yeah Before we set up the mic stands and hooked up the mic keys. <laughs> No, I said the two things I didn't want to get into were politics and the other thing. Yeah. Which we... See that? See that? Yeah. See the way I played that? Yeah. So, um, you know, I'll leave politics to the professionals. They don't even yeah, have yeah. to fuck it all up. like, Yeah. But, um, like... It's something I've always spoken about when we get into that like political space is that democracy is great because the idea of everybody having a voice is brilliant. But yeah. the fact is how many people who have a voice know what the fuck they're saying. On um, like, certain issues, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> when you yeah. when you're on about shit like that like Yeah, you I know, like I don't fucking have half an idea of that. Mm. And you know, I have a background in that. And um I just wonder how the people are so vehemently arguing this shit on television like how much the fuck do they know?
0: Yeah, I worry about that. Um I saw Brian Cox talking about it and I was a little bit confused. And it's one of these things that people go, you know, oh, he's a scientist, he knows what he's talking about. And Brian Cox is brilliant, mm. really, really good. But oh, I right. wasn't aware his air, one of his areas of ex- expertise was climate change. Right. I, I don't know if it is, but the idea of putting him on a panel to argue for that, I find strange because I always thought his deal was physics and a little bit on the cosmos. Kind of
1: astrophysics. Yeah.
0: Mm. So... Now, I'm not saying he's not entitled to opinion and he's not entitled to talk about it. He is as free as you or I are. Hmm. But I I kind of find it strange that the media puts that. Um, The climate change thing for me is is an interesting one. Um, There's a lot of young people talking about it. And again, I think it's great that they care about the world because they're caring about the world they're going to grow up in, which I think is good. But I don't know if they fully know yeah, the facts. There's a very,
1: there's a very profound difference between um, saving the planet and saving ourselves. It's, but I, I, because, uh, but <laughs> the planet doesn't give a fuck what no. happens either way. Absolutely, the planet will adapt. Planet we're, we're talking about saving ourselves, under the guys of saving the planet.
0: The planet has survived a comet, numerous comics, one big one that presumably wiped out the dinosaurs, um, countless there were ice ones ages. Than that, believe it
1: or not, what's that? There were bigger ones than. Were that. there? Yeah, there was the one that formed the moon.
0: Oh, of course, yeah yeah yeah.
1: there were more this planet was battered for a long time before the dinosaurs ever woke up it's mad you know uh, the formation of the moon in simplistic terms was was uh,
0: an asteroid hit it and then debris fell off and collected and then no no better no? still
1: the body that hit the earth was so large that it cracked the crust and interior material from the earth sprayed out into space and it was of sufficient weight that it caught the o- orbit of the planet and went into orbit Wow. Yeah. So that's why when you look at the geology of the moon it's all um it's a material called plagioclase feldspar which is rife in the interior of the earth and oh it's uh, yes. it's almost predominantly that rock like that's mad. You know, that mineral. But uh, See, yeah, I no it was basically born of an impact.
0: Yeah, I knew it was born of impact. I didn't know it was that that, yeah, that's that was a, the Yeah,
1: you no know, it spewed out from the core of the earth basically and it went into orbit. Mm. So I the one that uh with the dinosaurs, that was only roughly sixty five million years ago, which is uh nothing in geological time, like yeah. sixty-five million years ago. Like the, the planet has been here for about four and a half billion. Yeah. I hope we're not alienating our creationist viewers at this point. No no, no well yeah s- But um Yeah, no, so uh the dinosaurs sixty five million years ago, relatively recent in geological time, and then if you think about us yeah, what are we? We're a hundred thousand years, two hundred thousand years at best. Yeah, that we're around. So when we talk about how significant we are, and we judge the Earth in terms of how we feel about what's going on, we're just being. That's, that we're being either ignorant or arrogant. But I and think I believe it's ignorant because we just don't. Most yeah. people don't know that. Well, like, I, I, I get. It's like we're a footnote on the yeah. the greater history. What it of it if the, you Earth. Look at the time the Earth scale? not give a fuck.
0: Yeah, if you look at the time scale of man on his on a twenty four hour clock, is it we've been here less than is it a minute or a second?
1: It's probably less. Yeah, I, I don't know. I've never seen that analogy, but I can see how it would work. And, yeah.
0: And um the thing that I think Do is Do you know you
1: could work it out? It's uh, say if you're being generous two hundred thousand years. Yeah. Uh that over four and a half billion. Multiply that by a hundred will give yeah. you a percentage of the amount of time we were there. Yeah. It's we Which uh, is very little.
0: We are we are here very little. And it was it was George Carlin, it was listening to George Carlin that changed my perspective on it. And that's he said, man. you know, we're, we're, you know, people are so concerned these days about saving the planet. The planet doesn't care. It's been here billions of years before us, and it'll be billions of years after. And I suppose that's one thing I can re- I can respect about the kids who are protesting cli- climate change. They're saying, we're going to be going into this world that may be affected. We're going to be living in it. But the people who go on about the planet being affected, yeah, the yeah, planet, yeah. that really irritates me. We're destroying the planet. Yeah, no,
1: You're destroying yourselves, been, at least be honest about yeah, what you're campaigning
0: presumably, for. Presumably, like. and you'll know more about this than I will, but presumably the, uh, the, the conditions for which humans can survive on this planet have changed many, many times. And the layout of the planet has changed many, many times. And I'm not saying that like, you know, the way some people say, oh, the weather cycles, that's natural or whatever. I'm not. I'm not going to get into that because, again, I don't know enough about it. But the time that the planet has been around um, and is able to, you know, uh, sustain human life, that's probably changed over so many times over the billions of years. So the concept of saving the planet, really, we're talking about saving ourselves. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah, and I, I think... And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that once we're no. honest about what it is. No,
0: and I think if we're more honest about that, I think this whole and idea... you know, it's
1: honourable if you say, I want to create a greater planet for my great-grandchildren. Yeah. Not to be like, you know, I want to save the world. Yeah. That's nuts. But again, I think but it's... But people don't know that. Like, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm not having a grudge against people. People don't know that. If people listen to fucking certain sources, they believe that the Earth is 2,000 but years old.
0: Yeah. I. But I think, th- I think also, I think there's this greater kind of... It's more palatable to people to say we got to save the planet than holy shit man we got to keep humans going. Like that's that's not an attractive message even though that yeah. in reality is what we need, right? Cuz Yeah,
1: but why don't people relate more to that than we have to save this like celestial orb? I guess orb?
0: there's a kind of is there <laughs> like, yeah. like
1: like why is that more relatable than we have to save all of our friends and family and everyone we've ever yeah, known I don't rather know. than we have to save this rock that's floating around the place? Yeah,
0: I don't know cuz the rock is going to keep floating for a good while. Yeah. You and know, even after, you know, even if when, you know, the sun collapses in on itself or it's getting ready, you know, it becomes a uh, a white dwarf or whatever bef- or a red giant or whatever. It could go before then. If yeah. the
1: Earth is sufficiently battered by meteorites and stuff like that. We'll be long gone. it becomes a mass so small where it no longer catches the orbit and it'll float outside of the solar system. And yeah, then the Earth will be gone. mm so where are the humans then? Where are the fucking yeah. picket signs then? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> <We're> <laughs> fucking outside the door <laughs> yeah. talking about fucking transgender toilets or some shit like that. Like, yeah, it's fucking mad. Yeah. People get fixated on mad shit. Like, it's but I, crazy. I think
0: there's certain topics. You know, I, I like watching back on programs like Reeling in the Years and stuff like that, and and seeing what people were preoccupied with. You know, people in the 80s were obsessed with the button, the red button. You know, and the Cold mm. War and you know, people in the sixties. People got
1: back to that recently with Trump and stuff. Yeah. Fear of the button. That's a
0: weird one, isn't it? Like I mean Yeah. Again, the the Trump thing for me is a whole um I meet people who really dislike Trump and mm. I meet people who really love Trump. And I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. He's not really affecting me right now. And people, people who are for him, will say, "Oh, but he's great." And the people who are against him are saying, "Well, he's got it. He's running the big country." And the amount of people come up to you and go, "He's the worst person ever to run America. Like he's the worst president." I grew up with George W. Like that takes a lot to beat,
1: you yeah. know. No, there's there's a few of them.
0: So I I just for me the Trump thing I I stay away from it. You know I I I let it, here's the thing. Politics. Oh yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the way that I think about it is that uh, let let the election decide the next one and we can move on, you know. Yeah. Yeah, let that yeah. happen. But uh no, I just think it's interesting what people nowadays and what people through history have been kind of ticked off by or been inspired by. It it changes and what's a big deal today in 20 years time might not be a big deal, yeah. you know. Might be nothing, yeah. Might be nothing. So, yeah. But that's that. And um, one of the things that you uh you're very heavily involved with as well, you're big in fitness, you're big in running. Um what got you into uh what got you into running?
1: That's a new thing. Oh, okay. Well that's like a year and a half. But um yeah, no, it's a huge part of my life now, yeah, for sure. It's um I suppose that question really, if I'm gonna answer it honestly, takes me down a different road altogether. And we're away from fitness and we're talking about mental health. Okay, yeah. Because that's where that question leads me. And you know, I wanna be honest when we're having the conversation. Um My mental health was in a really bad way for a great many years. And, um, you know, even some of the stuff we talked to earlier might have reflected that in some way, you know, about talking about masks and veneers and drinking to fucking be able to talk to people properly and shit like that. It's all symptoms of the same thing. And, um, you know, I have a diagnosed anxiety disorder and, you know, I was depressed for a couple of years and shit like that. But um, you kind of... You find ways of uh, what it seems like at first is that you're distracting yourself from the shit that's going on in your head Mm -hmm. by filling your mind with activities so there's no room for the bad shit to get a hold and start going mad on you and shit like that. But um, as you become... Well, for me, it was as I became a little bit older and a little bit more um, self-aware and shit like that. Mm -hmm. I was able to uh, recognize the symptoms of what was happening with me and uh, compartmentalize things and be kind of like... This part is me, and this part is like anxiety. And it's an important distinction because before it's like, this is anxious me. If you get what I'm saying. Yeah, it's I like, get that. What it is is like, the way I behave, and the way I relate to people, and all that sort of stuff is uh, a function of how my anxiety decides to feel on that particular day. So I could go into a room and I could feel great and I could be really looking forward to a day, but I get in there and I start, like, my chest closes in, I'm not able to breathe, my sweat is dripping down my brow, I go and hide in the toilet for an hour or two and then I go home and it's like, that plan is off the table. Wow. So it's like my ability to do things is tied to how that wants to behave, but you get to a point then where you can separate the two things completely and um, I, I can speak about how you do that, but... uh get to a point where it's me and then there's the disorder. And once you recognize the symptoms of it, you can be like, that's what that is. And it's kind of like... It allows I, you I to it, it, kind of put I it. I liken it a little bit to the uh, episode of The Simpsons, you know, where the advertisements are like going crazy and like wrecking shit, the big massive advertisements oh, are wrecking Oh, yes, yes, town, yes. And yes. go, we all just look away. That kind of thing. And as soon as you stop giving them attention and you stop feeding them, they fuck off. It's a bit like Jedward. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's the way it is uh, for me with that thing is like... Uh, because it's uh, it works on a cycle where, like, for me, there was a couple of years where, uh, in the back of my mind, I thought I was going to die young. That's what I discovered. I didn't know this for years, but um, through the various things I did afterwards, I realized that I had to fear that I was going to die young. And, um, you know, the lifestyle that I was living and the things that I was doing and stuff like that, I thought, yeah, I'm probably going to die young. And then I was imagining these scenarios of, like, you know, cops calling to my parents door and saying like yeah bad news for you all this kind of stuff these thoughts were like lurking in the back of my head all the time and um i didn't know that i used to think that i was like getting all these mad physical sensations just out of nowhere like a tight chest and the heart beating fast and like curling up in a corner and shit like that i'm just mad like yeah but it was born out of this belief that was in my head which was completely unfounded And I went for like full medicals and shit and said, no, you're fine. You're absolutely fine. Like your ECG is good. Your uh, bloods are good. You've slightly low on vitamin B. Take a few tablets, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Nothing like that. But um, I went on like this for years and years. And I, you know, I took, uh, you know, SSRIs are a common kind of uh, a cure all approach for doctors these days. Anyone with any sort of indication of mental health problems, that throw SSRIs at them. What's SSRIs? Selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. It's a class of drugs. <laughs> yeah, I know what they are. Now you've said yeah, that. Yeah, you know, I know what they are. It's a class yeah. of drugs that they uh, they throw out. Uh, we're not as bad here, but in America, they give them to anybody who... Yeah, any they skin. give them... Over but, um, there,
0: they give them like... Uh, they like Smarties. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: But um, what it is is um, it kind of levels out the serotonin levels in your head and it reduces the periods of low mood. But like I was saying earlier, um, I can't remember how what the conversation was, but... Uh, it's masking a problem. It's not dealing with it. Yeah. So you take that shit, you feel a little bit better and uh, you kind of can break the cycle there where you're not feeding into the I'm going to die shit. Like, it's like, it shifts the narrative a little bit and you can go on. But then if you miss a day of taking that pill or if you wean off it, you're right back there. You're not really... You're plastering over the
0: cracks. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like putting a Band-Aid on it. It's not
1: really... Yeah. Yeah. So the other approach then from the um, pharmaceutical is the psychotherapy. And um, that's when you get into the domain of actually, like, looking inside yourself and realizing, why am I getting all these mad sensations that have no medical basis? Yeah. Like, you know, I'm talking about the ECG being good and the chest x-rays and everything being good. It's like you look inside yourself. And when I did that, when I went down that route, that was when I realized that it was just like fear of death that I had. And for everybody else, it's a different thing. Like, this is just my experience. I'm not telling everybody what the solution is. But for me, it was a fear of death and it was right around the corner and it was always just waiting for me. So wow. one night I'd go out and I'd like, you know, drink one too many drinks or like say something stupid to somebody. And, you know, the guards would be knocking on my parents' door to tell them what had happened to me. And that was always lurking in the back of my mind. Wow. So once I got into the um, psychotherapy and cognitive behavior therapy specifically and um, discovered that about myself, I was able to interrogate that information. So it's a case of you look at what the information is and the effect it's having on you. Yeah. And the only part of that that you can change is the interpretation of the information. Because the information is there, the effects in your body are there, the bit in the middle. Have a look at that. Yeah. So it's like, I have a bit of a pain in my chest. I'm going to die. My parents are going to get a phone call saying I'm dead. But uh, if I look at that more closely, it's like... It could be elevated cortisol because I'm working myself up into a state. Wow. It could be um, anything as simple as an overactive thyroid. I've got a bit of heartburn. My heart's feeling like that. Every time I feel like that, I associate with that with something bad about to happen. You you learn what all these things are and you put names on them, you put labels on them, and you become friends with them. And then all of a sudden, they're not harmful anymore. Yeah. And once you're not afraid of them, they stop fucking happening.
0: Is, th- is there like a res- a trigger and response thing? You know, or like a certain situation, say if you're anxious about something that you know in a certain situation or you get to a certain situation, your body starts to behave in a certain way because it's done it a couple of like It is times because like the difficulty before.
1: is uh, anxiety is a necessary thing, anxiety in the right place is useful. You know, you hear a noise outside your front porch in the middle of the night, you feel anxious, so you run down, you lock the door, and the person that's fucking lurking in your driver can't get in. Yeah. But uh, does when that you happen have an anxiety, often? <laughs> When you have an anxiety disorder, <laughs> yeah, you get that feeling when nothing has happened. That's the thing. It's irrational. So you need to go into your head to realize where it's coming from. And it's only when you realize that you need to do that, that you can actually do it. Because otherwise you're just like, I'm having these things happen out of nowhere. Yes. There's no rational explanation for them. Yeah, There is. You just haven't found it yet. And I'd say anyone who feels like that, look into cognitive behavior therapy. Look into your own head. Document your thoughts you know, document the relationships between your thoughts, your feelings and your behaviors, and you will see patterns and you will understand what is actually going on with you. Wow. Because that's the fucking, that shit is crazy. And you asked me about running and I went into that. Yeah. And the reason I went into that was because when I felt that way, which is recent, it's not fucking that old, but um, I took up that stuff. And then once I felt good enough, I started doing the odd jog and shit like that. Yeah. I started running and stuff, and now running is an active part of my like self care routine. Running is uh, very important to me.
0: And when you're running, do you think about things, or do you just let go and just get into the moment and run? Do you listen to music? Or? No,
1: I don't listen to music. I think um, I hear a lot about this uh, very hip term these days of uh, mindfulness yeah like being yeah, yeah. like present in the moment and shit like that and I think you know it's, it's one of these fashionable things at the moment but when I run I think that's as close as I get to something like that like I run and I literally think about nothing but like I'd be looking around at the trees and the birds and fucking just enjoying the nature and the air in my face and even the rain the fucking just love all that just get out and do my run and it's like when I, I get home like there's never yeah. been a run I've done where I got home and regretted it yeah that's great I fucking love
0: it and like i was like i always think or i assume that it's probably good for the brain to disengage with fully conscious behavior at some point and mm-hmm. the run probably allows you to do that it gives yes. the the conscious part of your mind a chance to relax and take a break and you just you're in you are as you said uh like what a lot of people say about mindfulness is which is being in the moment yeah um i think we 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 hear a lot about kids and i suppose from my educational kind of background or my kind of um, viewpoint, we hear a lot of kids having problems with anxiety. And I think the problem is, is like when you're playing as a kid, say you're playing a game of football, time flies when you're having fun. The game goes like that. You don't think about it. You're you're working a lot. You're working as a team. You're building social structures. You're playing. You're having fun. You're in the moment. All you're thinking about is kicking the ball. You don't think about what people are thinking about you. You don't think about how you're going to appear, how you're going to look. You just play the game. I think so many kids nowadays they they're ha- we're having to teach kids how to be mindful and meditate in mm. schools because they're looking at image based stuff all the time. And so the idea can of i put a statement p- to you? Yeah, sure.
1: How do you feel about the following? Depression is living in the past. Anxiety is living in the future. Happiness is living in the present.
0: I think that's true. And I've heard that before and then I often think to myself, how do you um you know, it's like the Boy Scouts thing. You know, uh, uh, failure to prepare is preparing to fail. And um, how do you s- how do you uh, how do you not overanalyze what can happen? Because I know I do that. Mm. But then, how do you not like take those few steps just to think, okay, what? So if you that can did overanalyze. Happen? You can safely yeah, overanalyze,
1: yeah. but what you can't safely do is attach significance to things that you've come to learn. Right. Because in attaching significance to things you're um, you're throwing the weight to another corner of the field. You know what I mean? When you m- consider something significant, you're giving it power over you. Yes. And uh, nothing is like that. It's all like everything that you experience exists within your own consciousness. So when you learn to perceive things in a kind of a warm and friendly way, and uh, not with fear, and, you know, it's very easy. Like, if you have a panic attack and you don't know what it is you think you're dying yes but when you arm yourself with the information and you know that it's just a chemical thing and it's a fight or flight instinct it's back to evolutionary biology like. yeah um it fucking first time it happens it's terrifying you think you're going to die the second time it happens and you know it can't kill you and you've learned a little bit about it it lasts a fifth of the time mm. and then the tenth time it happens you're like oh fuck this shit you know it's a minor yeah. inconvenience and then after a while, it's something you almost embrace because it's like, oh, I know this one. Yeah, that must mean you know I'm not going hard enough at my self care routine. Maybe I'll fucking you know do an extra ten minutes of meditation tonight, or maybe I'll, uh, you know, spend an extra yeah. half hour on guitar. Or do you can I start enjoy to today.
0: diagnose it, and you can start to look for solutions to it rather yeah. than. Yeah, I think I've only ever had a proper full blown panic attack once, but I I knew what was happening.
1: Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: I was in a car. And I was in a, I was abroad, and something went wrong, and no matter you told what, me this, yeah, and no matter yeah. what I did, I was lucky. I had my brother there yeah, with was me. Matt, yeah, yeah, and no matter what I did, I couldn't solve the problem. And I, I have a big fear in life of what I call the hamster syndrome, where you know where a hamster or a guinea pig can get behind something and they can't realize yeah, that they yeah. can turn back. They. can't. Ha- if if they get trapped going forward, that's they're stuck. Yeah, it's a they,
1: claustrophobic. It's theory. a
0: claustrophobia. So I, I was in a situation where I couldn't get out of it. Uh, I couldn't see a way out of it. Uh, I had to get home the next day. My car was paramount and fundamental to me getting home. I had other people relying on me. And no matter what I did, other people I perceived weren't helping me. Mm. Now, the fact was the matter was that in a lot of situations, they couldn't, they had schedules and all that. But that was... Irrelevant because I couldn't get home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I just pulled in. And for 15 minutes, I'd say, at least it felt like 15 minutes. I thought I was having like a heart attack. And my brother was there trying to talk me through it. And um, and uh, I just said, I said, I know what this is. Because I'd, I'd read about it and I'd spoken to people who had them before. And uh, if it wasn't for that, I, I I put it this way. I got my shit done. I got what I needed to get done. And I thought through it and I got through it but it, it it's it wasn't nice no. you know but uh, i recognized that it was an illogical response to um to to scenarios it was an illogical response to to certain situations that i put in and i guess i just had to let it pass until it went away yeah and then it kind of like it goes away and then you can think about things again yeah you know and that that's my only thing
1: that they teach people are now called uh, flooding Right. which is for people who experience panic attacks, rather than like fighting the symptoms. I can't wait until this stops. They say like, pick a position that you're comfortable in. Pick a position that you're comfortable in, and like put your hands on your knees and just sit there. And no matter what it feels like, if you think you're gonna die, you're not. This actually poses no danger to you. Yes, this is all psychological, even though it feels physical. It's you know, it teaches you how intertwined your mental and your physical being is but you sit there and you just embrace whatever it is and then you're like, you know, do your worst and you sit there and it does its worst. You feel shit for a couple of minutes and then it's gone. And uh, that's something they teach people these days in cognitive behavior therapy as well. But it's it's mad like when you see the amount of people and it's actually on the up, not on the down, the percentage of people that suffer anxiety-related issues. And uh, what worries me is that more than the people that have sought help and i have taken the medicine, which I don't think is particularly the way to go. Yeah. But um, there are twice as many undiagnosed. And people, who just think that they're fucked and they're a bit mad. And that they're this and they're that. And they're masking their problems with illegal drugs. And, you know, there's a lot of people that I know and I look at them and they're like, that dude, the session head, he's a fucking, you know, he's a pill head. He fucking does this. He he's goes alleged, he's a ledge. He's a buzz Yeah, he's great, yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever. That dude probably goes home and cries himself to sleep like. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. These people mask their issues with fucking self-medication. And um I don't know. I think uh, I think we've moved in the right direction recently in terms of destigmatizing mental health and all that stuff, but we've a long fucking way to go. And I think uh I think it's particularly difficult for men. Yeah. Because there's a sort of a a demand on men to be fucking manly and masculine and uh not effeminate little weirdos who talk about how shit they feel. You know what I mean?
0: And I think for a lot of men then I think the, the 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 opposite is also true. That there's also a place for the for the men who are effeminate and for you know, we we've seen a greater acceptance for LGBT and that's great. But there's that whole thing that like those guys can talk about that but the kind of regular dude, he doesn't Mm -hmm. know how to talk about it. So there's stigma coming from two sides. There's the, you gotta be a man, you don't talk about your feelings. But there's also, well, it's okay if you're like that to talk about your feelings. And I mean that with the greatest respect. So for the regular guy who's like, I just want to go out, make my money for my family, bring it home to the kids and feel proud, that is still difficult. And there's a reason why young male suicide is still the highest percent or the highest demographic because those people don't feel they have a place. They're not strong enough to be the man that can that can hold on Do you know what, but they're not soft enough to be the fellow with feelings I'm not saying that if you talk about your feelings you're soft but that's
1: how it's perceived No but if people. you say to somebody like oh Owen is a really emotional dude what does that mean? When I say that like say I say that to uh, Brendan Casey yeah. one, uh, a mutual friend of ours Yeah if I say Brendan Owen is such an emotional dude what does that mean? That's an insult isn't
0: it? Yeah I think it would be perceived as an insult yeah
1: Yeah that's It's certainly not a compliment Yeah and funny Whereas, enough,
0: I think of myself as being f- probably one of the more emotional members of yeah. our group. I I I think with my feelings. But uh, you know. do you get
1: what I'm getting? at? Like, it, totally, totally. Yeah. If, I, if I say to Brendan Casey, Owen Catterall is an emotional dude, he <laughs> might go, oh, "Yeah, he is. He's a fucking." You <laughs> we'll
0: know. carry on. You know what
1: I mean? Whereas, yeah. I think that being an emotional person is far more healthy than being a fucking macho, fucking quiet person who bottles shit up. Yeah, and. uh not to say that you're the person who pipes up and tells us all about your feelings all the time, but if you are, I would respect that more than somebody who bottles the shit up. I've just uh, I've just remembered, and you'd certainly be a healthier person if that was the case. Yeah,
0: I've just remember that episode of Rick and Morty where the um, it's the one with the, the was it Rick Lantis or whatever, mm. and. Uh, there's the emotional Morty who's like it was written in my dream genes that I had to be like drama, or whatever, and I have to overreact all the time. I think that's what you think of when someone says you're emotional. Yeah, you know, you yeah, overreact. Yeah. You're, you're, um, you're really self indulgent. You're uh, a woe is me. You know, that's what people think of when they think of emotional. You
1: know, um, people don't realise that emotions and feelings can actually make you feel physical sensations. They can, yeah. Because that is like where everything comes from. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> People uh, disassociate those two things. Yeah. It's like, you know, oh, feelings, love and hate and fear. That's all the fucking feeling shit in the brain. Pain and, you know, glory, and, or not glory, I don't know where glory is. Glory's probably in the middle of pain and, you know, yeah. sensations and shit is on the other side. And it's like, no, man, those two things are married. Yeah. And uh, you don't realize that when when you feel joy... If something really happy, like, you know, you're fucking, uh, you get married. Yeah. You get, like, a physical sensation. You got, like, a rising in your stomach or wherever you might feel it. There's something in your body that's, like, the physical signature of joy. Yeah. Because otherwise, how would you know you're experiencing joy?
0: That's true, yeah. Same,
1: if something horrible happens to you, how do you know you're experiencing it? Unless, like, you know, you start to tremble or you fucking, you know, your, your stomach sinks yeah. You know what I mean? It's fucking, well, what would there it are physical be? signatures for What would it emotion. be other
0: than just an observation of a potential state of mind? Yeah. You'd just be like,
1: hmm, So happiness. doesn't
0: it follow? I follow that I must be content. There wouldn't be any, it's like, you know, you go to a good show, right? You go to a good metal gig, right? You know how do you how do you how do you get into it? You have a good time. You bang your head. You sing along. You're chanting. You're raising your hands. You're hugging your brothers or whatever in the audience. There's a whole sort of connected emotional response to how you're feeling. You don't just sit there and
1: you go, "Yes, I am enjoying this." Yes, yes, exactly. You yeah. know that's. And doesn't it follow that vice versa is true? You, oh yeah, you get a physical sensation that you don't understand. Why can't you relate it back to an emotional state? Yeah, we don't because we get a pain in our chest. <laughs> what do we think? I'm having a fucking heart attack. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. It can't be just like, oh, maybe I'm fucking sad about but something. You know, I maybe li- there's something in the back of my mind that I haven't fucking dealt with. Like, yeah, we I, don't teach that.
0: No. I, I actually, the last, I'd say for the, like the last three weeks, every night when I'm falling asleep, my left arm goes temporarily numb. Mm. And I think, oh, is this it? Yeah. You know, like, and that's probably a really illogical yet entirely logical (laughs) way to respond, but it's not good, you know? Mm. I'm not really worried about it. It doesn't really scare me. I kind of go, this is it. Um, But yeah, that's, yeah, it's true. That's very, very true. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it happens most nights, yeah, for the last couple of weeks. I suppose it's that kind of thing where, like, impending sense of doom or something, you know? All right, yeah, Yeah. I know him. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He's a friend of mine. Yeah. (laughs) So I killed good, him, man. Good, good, good title for a song. Actually, impending sense of yeah, I'm doom. i sure it's been done. Yeah, probably by some skate rock band or something. <laughs> like that. Is that even a thing anymore? So no, I doubt. I think
1: I think maybe Blazers are having a skate rock night.
0: <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, Blazers are having another one of their launch nights where they're having a tomorrow night. Well, whenever this goes out, a couple of weeks ago, but uh, they're having a Blazers is on Nightclub in Longford. For those who don't know, it's having a a nineties and naughties night. I'm like, most of the kids who I teach are yeah, going to be at that. Uh, in pre They would have been like five or six we when that was happening.
1: Naughty's Night. Is it too early to have a fucking Naughty's Night? Like, I mean, I, th- I, th- I was born in 1990. You were born in what, 88? A- 89, 89, 89. 89, yeah. Uh, Naughty's Night, to me, it feels like it's too early for that to be like super nostalgic. Because that Definitely. feels like really, you know, and I think the people who are like 17 and 18 and going into fucking Blazers now, they're probably too young to like even know the songs of that era.
0: Yeah. Though it's, I was <laughs> surprised when I was preparing kids for their graduation mask, they all wanted to do a Westlife song. Go figure. What song? Uh, when you're looking like that.
1: She's five foot ten yeah. in cat suit and baby eyes. eyes. Yeah. Everybody who's staring wouldn't believe that, that the, the squirrel, squirrel was, was mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a great song about fucking hiding nuts.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> it's actually one of the few Westlife songs I can kind of I can accept. You know, it's. Yeah. Uh, I always used to hate flying without wings. People used to talk about that as being like. There's West. some
1: cool fucking um, some cool young musicians and uh, rockers about the town these days.
0: Oh yes, it's like
1: you know, in the School of Rock crew and shit like that. It's like.
0: There's kids who can appreciate. You yeah. can
1: really relate to them because you know. I remember when we were that age and doing all the fucking cover bands and shit like that. It's cool to see fucking dudes still playing the good music. Yeah, I think it's it's good out, like- to see
0: kids who want to form, um, want to form bands and want to make their own music and are really interested in that. And you know, kids who want to. You know I recorded a young band recently and from school of rock and they they wanted to
1: yeah, you showed me and it sounded great
0: yeah it sounded great and they wanted to do something and it was like oh if we did this that sound cool and I love that there's nothing better than making music that and sounds I cool as well
1: the lead guitar part that you played it was like it was a really soundscapey kind of thing. Yeah, it was like a tremolo pick guitar part that panned from left to right. And shit yeah, like that. I remember when we were that age. It was like, no, how many notes can I fit into the solo? <laughs> yeah, it's like it's no, the these dudes report. are actually like, you know, writing a song. Yeah, which is really cool.
0: And they're thinking about the song as a composition, as a piece, and all-encompassing. Mm. But um, no, it was so funny when I was watching the kid recording it, and I wasn't going to say, well, I call him a kid, but all I won't right. mention his name here. But a uh, really good guitar player, and he was uh, he was recording his solo, and I remember looking at it. And uh, he played it and he did this really noisy thing and he put his, I was monitoring it through my my HRK, uh, or sorry, KRK uh, Rockets. And uh, he he was playing it and he was like, can you monitor it like as loud as you can through the monitors? And I was like, okay. And at the end, he did a solo and he took his guitar and he put it up and it did this weird oscillation feedback. And he was like moving it in and out. And I was watching him play the notes, and I was like, oh, man, those notes, like, they're all wrong. Like, it's going to sound awful. And then we played it, and I was like, wow, that works. It really works. I yeah, no, it sounded great. And then I was like, do you mind if I put, like, the widest reverb on that? And he was like, go for it. So I put it in. And this is not a joke. I then said, do you mind if I then pan the reverb yeah, yeah, from the right to left like and back swooping, around? Yeah. And no joke, two of them came right over to my chair and went, can you? That would be so cool. And uh, I just thought, this is great. Like, it's about, like, when I heard, the first time I heard Ride the Lightning, I went, that sounds cool. Yeah, yeah, And it doesn't matter whether it's the 12, 13, 14-year-old kid who listens to music the first time. All you want to do is make something that sounds adventurous and sounds
1: cool. And it's like, wow, I'm making something cool. It's back to naivety. Like, naivety and creativity are best buds. Absolutely,
0: yeah. 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 And I think that's, you know, when the people say about, oh, the album was overthought. I think that's what they sometimes mean. But then, what is overthought? Mm. You know, what is underthought? What is... Just create it, put it out, let it... Let, and, you know, we'll see what it's like.
1: Yeah, no. Make something you love. Yeah. And if other people like it, it's a bonus. Absolutely. That's and all. that's
0: all you can ever ask for. I think the people who've been the most resolute with um, dealing with, say, success or anything like that in pop music were the people who didn't worry about what they overthink. you know? Mm. Good example, like, Dave Mustaine has constantly been trying to Whatever, because he's worried, I think about Metallica and that perception, but the people who've had the longest careers and the careers that have gone on that really they they do what they do and they don't worry about it, and, yeah, you know, and they ride the waves, you know, so yeah, I think that's a pretty good note to end it. Would you believe yeah, no, that's cool,
1: yeah, I think we're no, up I've to enjoyed it like uh, as I was saying to you earlier i've uh, I've listened to a good few of the episodes on anchor and shit like that, yeah, and um. It sounds great. I wish it was uh, pushed a little bit harder. <laughs> I said that to you in pre-production. That, yeah. I, I that pre-production could, uh, meeting again, yeah. Yeah, no, it was a long meeting. Yeah. But uh, We got thought, a lot talked about in two minutes, you know, actually. I thought the podcast uh, yeah. was great, and it would be great if more people could hear it. Yeah. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to help with that a little bit. I'll share this one out, and uh, hopefully people will check it Brilliant. out and go listen to some other episodes. Thanks very much.
0: Yeah. Um, as well, um, I s- just to give a quick plug, we have, what's what's your... We've recorded some music together. What's the SoundCloud page it's up on? Um, it Moonglade2k11,
1: or if you search my name, Sean Hughes, you should find it on SoundCloud. And that's Sean Hughes, S H A U N. Yeah, but Moon gl- Moonglade2k11, all yeah. one word. Uh, you should find a couple of songs me you know did and shit like that. Yeah, we've
0: done a few covers of like things, and we've never tried to get the exact copy of the original. We've always put our own little kind yeah, of yeah. ideas on it. So. Check it out, and that's uh, this is the. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. <laughs> Who's ready
1: to do some padding? Who's ready to do some padding?